Turn your Bible to Psalm 119. There's 176 verses there, but we'll only use one tonight, all right? Psalm 119. All right. Well, it's been our joy to be here, and uh, we're looking forward to this year. Could be the year the Lord comes. I know we said that last year, but uh, it's getting closer. Amen. <laughs> every time we say it, every day we say it, it's getting real close. Psalm 119, a very familiar passage with you. Tonight I'm going to preach on this subject, what to do with the best of books. What to do with the best of books. Psalm 119, 111. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The Bible also says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick, which means alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That was Hebrews 4.12. I got this from the uh, uh, Gideon's New Testament, from their Psalms and Proverbs, and it was in their flyleaf there, and it says this. It made a lot of sense. The Bible, of course, is the Word of God. Then it went on to say, The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. The Bible is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. The Bible, here, paradise is restored. Heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. The Bible, Christ, is its grand theme, and our good is its design, and the glory of God is its end. The Bible should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and carefully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor, and it will also condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents, the Bible. May this book be your research and guide in life. And uh, as you lead your family in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we ask that God would help us. I'm reminded we have a ministry in our church called the Seedline Ministry. That is where we put, we don't print, but we put together printed pages from the uh, church up there in, in Ohio, Bearing Precious Seed. We put the cover on, and then we cut it on three sides and staple it, of course. And then we send it out to the foreign countries where it's needed. And that's been a very tremendous. They say that in these foreign countries particularly, that at least seven people will read a copy of the book of John and Romans. And out of the seven people who read a copy of the book of John and Romans, one person at least will get saved. 
And our church has done over 2 million copies so far. So that is a rewarding thought that we've reached uh, from our church throughout the world, 2 million people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, have an opportunity like that to get involved with the Bible is an exciting thing. Matter of fact, uh, for the most part, it's our senior saints that is doing the work on that. They do it on a third, or excuse me, on a Tuesday evening, and uh, or excuse me, a Tuesday morning from eight o'clock until twelve o'clock, and they've done almost, I mean, over two million copies. And I think this past year, uh, two hundred fifty thousand copies was completed. Well, the Bible, what an exciting subject! And I want to sing a little song about the Bible. And then I want to te uh, teach you from the Word of God what to do with the Bible or the best of books. It's a well of pure water when I'm thirsty and dry, and bread when I'm hungry and worn. When the battle is raging, it's my faithful sword, a shelter from life's troubled storm. It's a light to my pathway and a lamp to my feet. When this world gets so dark, I can't see. And I've not made a change in one word that it says, but it sure made a change in me. This blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it's true from beginning to end. It's solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it. Now it keeps me from sin. When I think what it costs just to hold in my hand, it reminds me that I owe a great debt to all of the martyrs who've gone to the stake and quote it with their dying breath. Now its critics are many, believers are few, but one thing I've found to be true, if you find when you read it that there's something wrong, then there's something wrong with you. This blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it's true from beginning to end. It's the solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it, now it keeps me from sin. And what a blessed book it is, amen. All right, now let's get back to the message. And we're gonna to talk to you tonight about the best of books. What to do with the best of books. All right, number one. Number one, the best of books. What is the best of books? There's a lot of books out there today, isn't there? I mean, you can uh, go buy books, and of course, a lot of people like the paper copy, so they can hold it in their hand. I've got a lot of books on my iPad now and my uh, my uh, smart devices, and uh, there's uh, I can read from there all right. It's not a problem for me. Matter of fact, uh, a lot of times to be able to get uh, excerpts and put it into my messages, and I'll just copy and paste. A lot easier than writing it out, and so a lot of many different ways that we had. I saw a, a Bible that was about an inch square. I mean, the whole Bible. It was uh, where you had to get a microscope to read it. Of course, I've never read through the Bible by a microscope. Wouldn't try it. But uh, it's amazing. And, uh, of course, in our smartphones there, we get, uh, we've, we've got it where it's just, it talks to us. The Bible, you can read the Bible and let the Bible actually read it to you. And that's exciting, too, because I like to go through my ears and I like to see it coming through my eyes. And the ears and the eyes are the, are the heart gate. And that's where, where we want to put the Bible. So what is the best of books? Well, as I mentioned, many books are out there, but the best of books, of course, is the Bible. The Bible. And, of course, when I read other books, I'm, I get convicted sometimes because I'm not reading enough of the Bible. I'm not sure if you've ever done that yourself, but as I read other books, 
And so my books uh, of, of reading are important, but they're limited because I want to make sure I read the Bible. And, of course, that is the most important book. You know, of all the books in the world, uh, there's one book you can trust to be factual all the way through, and that is the Word of God. Amen? Uh, you don't have to guess about it. Now, just think about this. How much time, and, of course, kind of newspapers are going by the side. I'm talking about the paper copies. But how much time do you spend reading the newspaper daily? Or how about a magazine? Uh, how, you know, one that you would enjoy, fellas, maybe a sports magazine or, or a hunting magazine or what have you. How much time do you spend, or ladies, uh, I don't know what kind of magazines you read, but uh, whatever kind of magazines that you read, how much time do we spend reading other books? And so little time to read the best of books. You know, we're ignorant people like that. That's right. Uh, we're, we're really, really silly uh, wasting our time listening to the news, reading the news articles, knowing that they are probably not even true. Because what we have is what is referred to as fake news oftentimes. And about this virus that we've, we've entertained here the last couple of years, who knows what's really true about that? If we knew what was going on, it would probably scare us out of our wits. But, uh, and by the way, when we lost that last election, or when they stole that last election, I went around and got a stupefied for about three weeks. What in the world just happened? Finally, I got my, I got my senses back, and uh, I turned my eyes back to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I know He's in control. He's the Lord of all things. And, of course, uh, all these things are taking place to make all these events come together for the last days in which we live. The Bible. Why is the Bible the best of books? I'm glad you asked. Uh, I'm going to share with you three things. Number one, we're going to talk about the source of the Bible, where the Bible came from. Where did the Bible come from? Turn your Bibles with me now. Uh, and, of course, all that one verse in Psalm 19, we'll come back there and we'll, we'll treat that. But uh, turn now with 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to find out here the source of the Word of God. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Where did the Bible come from? It came from God. God is the author of the Bible. Of course, we have today a, a great privilege that we have, as I mentioned in the small, uh, 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 in the small smart devices, and even in that one-inch uh, Bible that I saw. I actually had a copy of it. I'm not sure if I still got a copy of that. I didn't plan on reading it, so I, I may not even have that copy anymore. But uh, it's exciting to know that in the old days, the Old Testament days, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. Matter of fact, they had scrolls. Not everybody, matter of fact, very few people would have a copy of a scroll or a, even a portion of the scriptures. But they would, when they actually begin to put Bibles in churches, uh, uh, they would put, uh, they would kind of lock them out where not everybody could, could get a hold of them. And because they were uh, impractical. But today, what a privilege we have. I mean, I, I must have six of these Bibles in my house. And uh, what I'm trying to do is wear out at least four of them, so I can have a legacy to give my, to my daughters. And they can, uh, maybe when I'm gone, they can look at the Bibles and, and say, oh, I remember when Dad preached that several times. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it would bring something back to their recollection and be able to cherish 
uh, some thoughts that they were they were brought up under. We taught our girls. Um, uh, we had in our, our ministry a ACE school. That's the individualized training. And uh, but the girls were taught to take notes in church, not write notes, but take notes. And of course, when they went to college, guess where they went? They went to Pensacola Christian College. And of course, Pensacola Christian College was known for the Abeka uh, curriculum. And of course, they use that now with their children. But uh, we used, I was a Christian school administrator for 12 years. And, uh, and then we used it continuation to finish up the two younger girls uh, on homeschooling. But uh, what a blessing to be able to entreat them every day with the Word of God, this best of books. And every day they would think about and meditate on the Word of God. Then we had the Awana program where they memorized Scripture in the, in the youth program. And uh, they've memorized hundreds of Scriptures. And to know that we've uh, given an opportunity for them to gain uh, this type of thing, to hide the Word of God in their heart, what a blessing it is. And today they enjoy uh, training their children. We have uh, our middle daughter, or excuse me, we have two middle daughters. But our third daughter... Uh, Julie, she has six children, and uh, I guess she'll be in school for the rest of her life. But <laughs> she's enjoying seeing her children grow up in the Lord. I was telling uh, Brother Wood this this, uh, uh, this morning, just before we left, that uh, we also, Cheryl and I, uh, have dedicated ourselves to send our daughters, or excuse me, our grandchildren, to Faith Bible Institute, which is a local church ministry. And uh, we've sent, we've already had two graduates. Uh, and they can start that when they reach the 10th grade. And by the time they graduate, 10, 11, and 12, they have finished the high school, of course. And they also get a college Bible college diploma. And it strengthens them. All the Sunday school materials they did, all the homeschooling around the Word of God that they did. And then these last three years, 10th, 11th, and 12th, just to put it all together, uh, it's, it's a blessing. Matter of fact, I've been praying for some time now that God would call and place a call upon uh, our grandchildren to surrender to service. And uh, just recently, number three daughter, Julie, she told us that her oldest boy, who will be uh, 18 shortly, uh, he'll be graduating this year. Uh, he has told his dad that he's going to be a preacher. He wants to surrender his life to preach. And then uh, his, her, his sister, which is just under him, and she'll be, uh, she's 15, she'll be 16 this year. And she, as a, uh, uh, as a young lady, wants to give herself to ministry and uh, to become a missionary helper. And so that's a blessing to see God work in their lives and uh, see them want to surrender. And, uh, and so we thank God for that. And so we're sending them the Faith Bible Institute. Now we've got 16 grandchildren. Of course, the two older ones, they were grown and gone and uh, uh, we didn't get the opportunity to send them, but uh, 14 grandchildren. So we'll be in school or we'll be paying for school the rest of our life, but that's all right. What an investment, amen? to put in your children. What an investment. The source, God. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration. The word inspiration, I'm told, means uh, God breathed. God breathed. And when I think about that aspect of it, I think about Genesis chapter one, when God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and so forth. And the Bible said he formed man from the dust of the ground. And then he did what? He breathed into his nostrils and man became a what? a living soul. This Bible is a living Bible. Now, I hate it that Kenneth Taylor, who made a paraphrase of the Bible, called his paraphrase the living Bible, when this is the living Bible, amen. This is the Word of God. This is the God-breathed uh, God word that he's given, and all Scripture 
is given by inspiration. It's, uh, it's the best of books because of its source. Number two, it's the best of books because of its stability. Turn with me now a little bit further to the right, and we'll be reading, if you will, with me, please, Second Peter. In the book of Second Peter chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick up there in verse number 15. Verse number 15. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. The Bible says, the Bible says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may all be able, uh, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Verse 16, For we, this is Peter speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking of he, and uh, actually there were two others with him that went up to that Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? Who was it? Peter? Two brothers, James and John. All right, here's what he said. Moreover, excuse me, in verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. This, are not, this is not made up stories. These are not made up stories. Now, uh, I have to remind myself when I'm preaching uh, not to approach a, a passage of Scripture and say uh, this story. I like to say this historical fact, this historical event. But anyway, uh, that's another topic there. Because I don't want my children, I didn't want them to grow up to think that this is a storybook. I want them to grow up to know that this is God's Word. This is the best of books. Uh, we didn't follow divine devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were what? Eyewitnesses of His majesty. When did that take place? As I referred to it in uh, Matthew chapter 7. There on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration. And here's what he said. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. And when, uh, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. They were there. They got to hear and they got to see the majesty of the Lord, got to hear the voice. And this voice, verse 18 said, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. That must have been an exciting time. Matter of fact, we, if you read that, uh, that occasion there in Matthew chapter 7, you'll find that Peter got excited. He said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Kind of camp meeting time. He said, let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. You see, Moses and Elijah was with Jesus, and they saw all that. How in the world they recognize them? Well, we're going, to be, we're going to be able to know as we are known when we get to heaven. Amen? You say, what about my loved ones? Will they recognize me? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, thank the Lord that they had that occasion. But I want to tell you something. As exciting as that is, we even have a greater occasion of having the Word of God in our hands. We're able to handle it. We're able to, to, to read it, and we're able to meditate on it. They didn't have that privilege. They only had Jesus for three and a half years to teach them. I'm talking about the disciples. And on this occasion, only three of them went to the Mount of Transfiguration. So here's what he said in verse 19. Peter said, we have also, besides the eyewitness account, we have also a what? A more sure Word. It's stable. It is stable. When you read the Word of God, know that it's true because it is a more sure word than even the eyewitness account that Peter mentioned in the previous verses. A more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto, get this, ye do well that ye take heed 
as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You just can't take a, 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 a verse of scripture, take it by itself and try to make a doctrine out of it. That's not how you search for and identify doctrines. You take a verse of scripture within its context, within its surroundings, and then you can see the whole picture. And then as you read the Bible like that, you'll see how other passages, uh, they relate together and fit together like a, like a nice tight glove on a hand. That's just how the Bible works. And this Bible, by the way, was given to us over a period of 15 to 1600 years. Uh, matter of fact, God used uh, writers, about 40 writers of different, pers different backgrounds. And uh, so it's, it's a blessing just to know how we got it. But he said, you do well to take heed unto it as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. I guarantee you, if these lights went off tonight, it would be dark in here. And if someone happened to have a, um, a flashlight or even a match and they light it, guess where our eyes would go? Right to that light. And that's where we would want to go. You know what David said about the word? He said, thy word is a, is a lamp unto my feet, like a flashlight. Or a lantern. He said, that's, that's, that's how we use the Word of God. Did you realize what the Bible means? Look at it. There's an acrostic there. A believer's instructions before leaving earth. Bible. Yeah. And so we should read it every day, knowing that God will lead and direct our paths, and we'll not have to trip up and laugh. We don't have to make those, those mistakes that we make if we're following the Word of God. It's a lamp unto our feet. And once in a while, it can be a flashlight or a torch. As the British say, it could, be a, it could be a light unto your path. And if you've been outside after a storm, guess what you want to do? And it's dark, you better carry your flashlight because you never know when a limb may have fallen down. Matter of fact, you may not even know if the power lines have not fallen down and really endanger you. But if you've got a good light, you can make sure you don't trip over anything while you're on that journey and lift up ahead of you. And you can be careful where you're going. That's what we do with the Bible. Stability. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And it went on to say, and the day star arise in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now we give credit to Moses as the writer of the first five books of the Bible. We call what is referred to as the law the Pentateuch. But the fact is, Moses just didn't get an idea and said, man, I need to write a book. There's been so many things happening. I need to write all these things down so other future generations uh, be able to understand what's been going on. That's not what Moses thought. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit's idea to give the Word of God. He said that, uh, but holy men of God... Now, these weren't sinless men of God, but they were holy. They were set apart for God's service. Holy men of God uh, spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy, Holy Ghost. Now, that word moved, I'm told, means to be carried along. Wasn't their ideal, but it was the Holy Ghost is ideal. And the Holy Ghost is involved. That makes it a stable book. Because of its source, because of its stability, and also because of its sufficiency. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 
uh, 3. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as we look at this point, we read the Scriptures in verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. Anybody here would not like to profit during 2022? Wouldn't you like to go forward and make some great investments and make some profit from your life? Well, he said the Bible is, is just that. It's sufficient for us. It is profitable for doctrine. Now, what is doctrine? Uh, doctrine is a simple word that refers to teachings from the Word of God. Teachings from the Word of God. I remember preaching and the lady came and she said, I really like your church if it just wasn't for the doctrine. I said, maybe she don't understand what doctrine is. We preach the Word of God. We teach from the Word of God. And what we teach and preach and practice, we call doctrine. That's what it is. And, of course, you might write this down. Doctrine is showing you that's what is right. That's what is right. You can find what's right is what is right from the Word of God. Not only is it profitable for doctrine, for teaching, it's also profitable for reproof. The Bible will reprove you. The word reproof is like uh, putting somebody in a corner here. And uh, right there in that corner, they can go nowhere. Uh, they only got two places to go, that way or this way, and they both are dead ends. And so they, they're convicted. And everywhere they turn, they're convicted. And, of course, you're facing them right there. And so reproof, it's, it's profitable reproof. And that's what's not right. The Bible will show you what's not right in your life. Somebody said, I'd read the Bible, but I can't understand it. I don't think that's the problem. The problem is, it's what you understand that bothers you. It's not what you don't understand. It's what, under, what you do understand. That's reproof. The Bible will convict you of sin. And people don't like that. People don't like that. So it's profitable. It's sufficient for doctrine. That's what's right. For reproof, that's what's not right. And then for correction. And that's how to get it right. The Bible will instruct you of how to get what's wrong in your life right with God for correction. Number four, also for instruction. And that's how to keep it right. That's how to keep it right. So the Bible is a very important book. It's a very sufficient book, a very sufficient book. Well, let's go on. We talked about the best of books. And you know, I'm talking to the choir tonight. I'm talking to people who know what the best of books is. But let's go to the next point, And that is... What to do with the best of books? The Bible's the best of books. What to do? Well, the Scripture says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. That's what to do with the best of books. Here's what happens. We all got our Bibles tonight, and we brought them. Made sure we had them before we come. That was one of the things we bring to a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church. That's the textbook, amen? And so we bring it with us. Well, when we go home at night, you know, our stomach begins to chew on our backbone a little bit. So we'll put our Bible down, maybe on a coffee table somewhere. We'll run right straight to the kitchen, go to the refrigerator, fix up some things. We'll come back, turn the uh, smell-o-vision on, and uh, we'll watch maybe a, 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 a family movie together or something. And uh, then before we go to bed, we get a little sleepy. 
Matter of fact, my wife has to watch movies two or three times because she'll fall asleep uh, at different occasions of the film. And uh, so, you know, it takes her three times to see a, a complete movie. Uh, and she found out the other day the reason why. They told her when she took a sleep apnea test that if, uh, within every hour she falls asleep, or excuse me, her, she stops breathing within every hour 19 times. And she's asked me often, do you hear me, hear me stop, stop breathing? I said, well, how can I do that when I'm out asleep? You know, when I go to bed, usually I put my head in the pillow. Within five minutes, I'm gone. And uh, so, you know, I'm in dream world somewhere. But they told her she uh, quit breathing 19 times. She asked me last night, did I snore? I said, well, I think I heard it a couple of times, maybe when I got up to go to the bathroom. But uh, you need to snore as loud as you normally do. And so they're fixing to bring, uh, send to her a CPAC machine if they can get it off those freight, freighters coming across the ocean from China, I guess. Uh, but anyway, uh, she was a little bit alarmed at that. And she's afraid to go to sleep, thinking she might not wake up. Well, there was an occasion where uh, a friend of ours told us a story about one of the men of their church that uh, his son was going to get a CPAC machine. Well, it came, never came, never came. Finally, he died, and the next day it arrived. So I just told her, I think I've got the insurance paid up, so don't worry about that part, all right? Matter of fact, I, uh, I've got uh, $50,000 worth of insurance on her. She said, why do you got so much insurance on me? I said, well, I got to fly in the children, the grandchildren. And then we got to think about the party. <laughs> and we'll get you in the ground. Don't worry about that. But anyway, uh, it's a blessing to be saved and know where we're going. And she's saved. I know where she's going. If I happen to go before her, uh, she'll get 250,000 smackers. Uh, so, you know, she'll be, she'll be all right for a while until she comes to meet me in heaven. But listen, we need to hide the Word of God in our heart. Where'd I put it? Yeah, that's what we're thinking. Now it's the next service. Honey, have you seen my Bible? And the honey speaks back, said, well, where did you have it last? And you got to thinking, oh, me, where did I have it last? I came in from church. Oh, yeah. Move all the things off of it. Pick it up. Dust it off. Because you know that dust on the Bible creates dirt in your life. Yeah. So we need to read this daily to keep ourselves clean and to keep ourselves in line with God, in line with the Word of God. What is the Bible to you and where do you hide it? He didn't mention, the, uh, think about hiding it in the dresser drawer or somewhere else. He wants us to hide it where? In our heart. Proverbs, please, chapter 4. Let me help you to get it there, show you how to get it there. And then I'll tell you how to get it there. I'll show you what the Scripture says about it in Proverbs chapter 4. And in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, it talks about this matter of the heart and how to get things in your heart. All right, Proverbs 4, there it is. Yes, okay, good. Um, verse 20, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. So notice the word ear there. Attend to my words. In other words, attend means to pay attention. Attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. I told you a while ago, there's two gates to your heart. There's the ear mentioned. Give it attention to it. And then there's the eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine where? Heart. 
How do you get it there? The eye gate and the ear gate. Uh, that's why I like to read the Bible out loud. Because you're getting in at two gates. You get in through the eye gate and you also get in the ear gate. So you're getting it toward the, toward the heart. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. All right, preacher. How do we get it in our heart? There's two gates, eye gate, eye gate and the ear gate. But wait a minute. The hardest thing to do to get it into your heart is to get it into your hands. Because as I mentioned, oftentimes we'll bring it and drop it somewhere, place it somewhere, and then go about our duties. Enjoying the family, which is fine, but to know, have we taken time to read the Word of God? You'll never read the Word of God unless you pick it up. Reach for it. Reach for it. That's the hardest part. Once you pick up the Bible and begin to then, number two, read it. So you reach for it, then you read it. And you'll find yourself as you're uh, contemplating on the Scriptures and reading the Scriptures, it's hard to stop. That's why the Bible says, in uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, to give, to give attention to reading. To give attention to reading. The Word of God is to be read. It's to be reached. You reach for it, then you read it. Number three, you regurgitate it. Do what? Well, here's where I want to ask uh, Brother Moyer a very important question. He has cattle. Is that right? He has a few cows. I mean, he's not a big rancher, but he's got a few cows, and he probably knows the answer to this question. How many stomachs does a cow have? Six. Six? You think? You've never been inside? No. Okay. I made the try. Hmm? I made the try. Okay. Uh, anybody else got an answer for that question? How many stomachs does a cow have? Yes, sir? Seven. Okay, good answer. Yes, sir? Four, four. Anybody else got an answer? Well, actually, technically, it has one stomach with four chambers, but it does have four chambers. And you'll notice, especially in Florida, of course, I'm sure they do it uh, even up north in Minnesota if they have cows up there. I'm sure they probably would. Uh, they probably have to bring them in during the cold, 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 cold season. But in Florida, of course, they're outside all the time. And you'll see them in the early morning, they're out there eating grass, just a chewing grass. Then you'll see maybe a few hours later, finding them a shade, and they're, they go out there and flop down. But they're still chewing, just like Ari back there is chewing. I'm sure he's not chewing his cud, but uh, they're, they're, they're chewing. What are they doing? Because they're using those four stomachs. And I'll call them separate because they, they, they name them separate chambers in there. But uh, they're chewing on their cud. Looks like they're eating. Well, they are kind of. That's what we're to do with the Bible. We're to take the Word of God and we're to regurgitate it. Memorize that scripture and bring it back up. Chew on it a little while. Swallow it back down, think about it, and bring it back up again. And chew on it a while. That's why I say regurgitate the Bible. Reach for it, read it, regurgitate the Bible, and then realize it. Now, what does it mean by realizing it? 
Put it into practice into your life. That's what God wants us to do. Turn to back now to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. A very familiar passage. Joshua, of course, was the leader of Israel after what man? Moses. He took over after Moses. Let's see, Joshua. That's back in the early part of the Old Testament. Back in those yellow pages back here where not many fingerprints have been in a while. So let's go back here in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8 and see what the Scripture says. Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8. Here it is. In Joshua 1.8, of course, he's already told Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. He says that a few times. But in verse 8 he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt, what? Meditate therein. How often? Day and night. Day and night. That thou mayest observe to do. Now when you took your driver's license exam, you had to pass the exam before you could take the driving test, right? Well, that's the way it was when I was a young man. Those who've got your license from Walmart or Kmart, then it may not have been that way. Uh, and I see a lot of drivers out there. It looks like that's where they got their license. But anyway, here we find out here, he said, you're going to observe to do. You know what to do, and now you're going to put it into practice. So you're going to watch what's going on in your life. You've been meditating on the Word of God, and uh, this book of the law shall not depart from thee day and night, and you're going to observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way what? Prosperous. And thou shalt have good success. The Word of God is important. That's why we're to hide it in our heart. That we can meditate on it. We can reach for it. We can read it. We can regurgitate it. And then we can realize it that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'm told for those who are in the Navy, and maybe you might have heard this too, because you're in the Marines, um, that this, this, uh, these words here, this phrase, uh, that uh, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all glory, it's like a battleship that is fitted for battle, has everything that they need to be able to go and, and uh, fight a war against other ships or against another enemy. So, to be fully ready and fit to fight are the battles that we fight in life. The best thing to do is to put this book into our heart. That's where we need to hide it. So the best of books, in the best of places, and last of all, for the best of reasons. Let's read it again. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. That I might not sin against thee. It'll cause you to recognize sin. That's what the Word of God will do. It'll cause you to recognize sin, and that's important. And you also will cause you to recognize that you and I are sinners. Romans 3.10, you know, very familiar with verse 10 and also verse 23, as it is written, referring to an Old Testament passage. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You won't read this Bible very long before you're convicted of sin. Not only will it cause you to recognize sin in yourself as a sinner, it will also cause you to repent of sin. 
It'll put you in a position, as we spoke a while ago, in a place where you can't turn anywhere and get satisfaction uh, off this subject until you repent, turn from your sin. The Bible said in Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible will help you to get it right. It'll help you to get it right. That is, we are to repent. Someone said, preacher, that's an old, old doctrine. It's only as old as the Bible is. Matter of fact, you know what John the Baptist preached to those Jews? Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You better start paying attention. You better repent. You better change your mind. Matter of fact, the, the gospel of Luke gives us the illustration there in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son. The prodigal son, of course, uh, took his, uh, uh, his inheritance, went out and wasted it on riotous living, finally come to a place where the only place he could do is look up, and he saw the pigs that this Jewish boy was, was uh, feeding, and he began to think, in my father's house, in my father's house, oh, they have bread enough and to spare. That, as a matter of fact, they throw the extra away as slop. And, of course, they didn't have pigs. Uh, maybe they give it to the dogs. You know, uh, when we had dogs, we had community dogs when I was growing up. One of my dogs' name was Booger. And, uh, but we had community dogs. They, they weren't any breeded dogs. They you know, were mixed breeds. And uh, you know what would feed them? Back then, we wouldn't buy dog food. I, I don't think I've ever bought a bag of dog food in my life. But we would uh, take a, a five-gallon bucket and throw the scraps off our table and then go feed the dogs. Now, some people wouldn't feed scraps off their table to a dog today, but I'll tell you what, most dogs eat better than the people do. You just look at the ingredients on their dog food, and it's a lot better ingredients than you and I eat. Cats the same way, but the fact is, uh, we just, uh, you know, we weren't... Uh, we didn't even take our dogs to the vet. My dad knew if, if our dog caught mange, mange on, on them, he would take some old burnt oil and rub on them and, and uh, get them well. If they had a, a heart problem, he would take some old chewing tobacco and put it in their mouth and they'd swallow that chew tobacco and they'd get better. I don't think I've ever seen my dad take a dog or an animal to, uh, to a vet. But anyway, they have those things. Matter of fact, they, they have vet hospitals, excuse me, animal hospitals today. They have animal cemeteries today. Well, we had an animal cemetery. It was right across the street, right over the fence, and we took a shovel out there and dug it down, and, and we buried our animals when they died. We were that kind to them, all right? We had our own funeral. Us youngins, we would have out there. We knew what a funeral was. I, you know, when I was growing up, if I went to one funeral as a little boy, talking about real people funerals, I probably went to 50 funerals. So I knew what a funeral was, and we would take our animals out there, and we'd bury them nice and give him a funeral and even put a little marker up. I doubt if it's still there. So it would cause us to recognize sin and ourself as a sinner. It would cause us to repent of that sin. It would also cause us to, uh, for the best of reasons, it cause us to rely on the Savior who died for our sins. You know, I put my total trust, my total trust in the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen. I could say I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And just like if I'd say, I believe this pew will hold me up. And I can say that and put my foot up there. And uh, am I really trusting this pew to hold me up? No, most of my weight's right down here. That's right. So, you know, the, the true fact is, I believe this floor will hold me up. 
And when I say I put all my trust in Jesus Christ, now I can say I, I put my trust in, in that this pew's going home if I don't tip it over. <laughs> How about you? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Salvation is in the person of Christ, Him and Him alone. Nothing else. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. And uh, it'll cause you to rely on the Lord. In verse Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were in that condition. The Bible said those last four words, Christ died for us. In verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death was passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 23, chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. That word death referring to a separation, that's what death is. If I were to die right now, my body would collapse. Somebody had to come and help my wife. As you can see her condition, she did not have to be able to deal with it at all. But anyway, even if she was walking right, uh, and uh, somebody else would have to help her. Why? What happened? Because the soul and spirit of me departed. Death. Go back to my maker. And this body then would have to be dealt with. It's referred to as being dead. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to be real. That's what death's all about. And not only so, for the wages of sin is death, but it's not just a separation from the body, but that full payment would be separation from God if you're without Jesus Christ. One day you'd have to hear the word, sorry, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The wages of sin is death. I like this part, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages and gift. Wages and gift. I'm going to give you a little illustration here. I got a check. This is only an illustration. This is not really, really a check. But I've got a gift here. $500,000. Anybody like to have that, if it's real? Would you like to have it? Nobody? What kind of church am I in? <laughs> well, anyway, just kind of follow along with this illustration, okay? Here's the check, and I'm going to make a stipulation with it. You can have this check, $500,000. I'm going to put it in this book. In order to get this check, you're going to have to receive the book. For you see... The check is within the book. If you receive the book, you've got the check. It's right there. And that's the way the Bible tells us about salvation. He that hath the Son hath eternal life. 1 John chapter 5. But he that hath not the Son, if you don't take this book, forget it. You're not going to get the 500000 See how simple that would be? To get 500000 if it were real here, you could just take this book and go home your own happy way. But better than that, if you receive Jesus Christ... You're going to have eternal life. For the gift of God is eternal life. And what is the last words there? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible will tell you. And that's the best of reasons. It will show you that uh, you, are, you, you are to recognize that you're a sinner. And uh, also repent of that sin. And rely, place your faith on Jesus Christ who died for your sin. And then last of all, you'll hate sin. You'll begin to hate sin. You'll begin to love the Savior. You'll begin to forsake sin. 
and you'll begin to follow Him as Lord and Savior. The Bible said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Romans 10 verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. You know what the promise is? Thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. He goes on to say in regards to that, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You get things right by believing right. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ, that's how you get right. Uh, the heart believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that do what? Call upon him. And that context is calling from the heart, relying upon him, trusting him. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. And then that verse that you know, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You love Jesus tonight. I trust that you do. And there's a little song that I learned some years ago. And my oldest daughter and I, when we were in Germany as missionaries, and we would sing together once in a while. And this is a little song that we would sing. I just keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I keep falling in love with him over and over, uh, over and over again. When I first fell in love with Jesus, I gave Him all my heart, and I thought I could not love Him more than I did right at the start. But I look back over the mountains and the valleys where I've been, and it makes me know that I love Him more, so much more than I did then. I just keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. You know, if you love the Lord, something else you're going to love, you're going to love His Word. And you're also going to love His body, that is the church. The church. And I've often promoted the thought, that is exhibited through the life of Paul, what you do to the church is what you do to Jesus. Now, again, I'm talking to the choir. I know that. But you can tell them, others, <laughs> you can tell others what I'm telling you tonight, that uh, if you talk the church up, you're talking Jesus up. But if you're gossiping and talking the church down, you are persecuting Jesus, not just persecuting the church. So love your church. Fall in love with Jesus and love what He loves. Hate what He hates. And that's just as simple. Remember, the, this is the believer's instructions before you leave this earth. The Bible. Let's bow our head for prayer.